Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to In My Heart, a podcast truly about all the things in my heart and finding our freedoms. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. My next guest, Lisa Messenger, is a vibrant game changer, author, producer, and CEO of Collective Hub, an Australian-based business she launched as a print magazine in 2013 and turned into an international multimedia business and lifestyle platform with multiple verticals across print, digital, events, and even co-working spaces, all of which serve to ignite human potential. She's an international speaker, best-selling author, and an authority on disruption in both the corporate sector and the startup scene. She's a headliner who's produced over 400 custom-published books for companies and individuals, as well as having authored and co-authored at least 30 of her own books and bestsellers at that. A regular commentator on business and entrepreneurialism, her passion is to challenge individuals and corporations to change the way they think, take them out of their comfort zone and prove that there is more than one way to do just about anything. And we're going to shout it so they hear us in the back. Lisa Messenger is in my heart. Welcome, Lisa. It is my pleasure to have you. Thank you, Heather. It is so great to finally be here with you. I've been so excited. So it's just beautiful to connect. Thank you. We did have some stops and starts trying to schedule between the two of us. You know what I mean? And you are in Australia and the time. So it's very early in the morning for you right now. So I am really excited that we were able to connect and I get to share you with all my listeners. Thank you. I was laughing as you were saying my bio is like, and the end of it is, and she just rolled out of bed. (laughs) (laughs) And she gives a good bed head. Let me tell you, no, you're, you're amazing. But that's the whole bottom line, right? Just like every other person, you roll out of bed, you put two feet on the ground and you start your day. And, you know, let me just say, like, you know, you probably started, I guess, when I was looking at at your life and we're going to get into it. But I feel like around 2015, like there was a big kind of chunk of your life between 2015 and like 2018 when things really I would say like the curtains open, the world open for you. And, and you really knew that you were on a different type of trajectory, but I'm going to take it all the way back and hand it over to you to the beginning. Tell us about who Lisa Messenger was before 2015 and how did you make the changes and 
literally enveloped. By the way, I just want to add to everybody that back in the day when she when she launched that uh, digital uh, magazine, okay, it was during a time when number one, she had no experience in the industry. I got to tell you that. And it was a time when everybody was saying that the industry was, was either dead or dying. So not only did you get into an industry that you really didn't have experience in, but also one that people were kind of negative about like print, really? You're going to launch a magazine right now? But you, <laughs> you, you just turned your back on all that naysaying and not only did you do that, but you did it really well. So take us through a little bit of the life of Lisa. Yeah, so I will go back back because I think, and I think you believe this as well, and I think this is largely what your podcast is about, is that I think we can see all this shiny, amazing, you know, oh, well, success in inverted commas. But I think it's really important for people to understand what we've had to overcome or the adversity or that it wasn't always like that. So I'm going to go back, back to 2004, um, where, because I kind of define that as pre-2004, post-2004, Lisa. And pre-2004, I was drinking a lot. Um, I had alienated my family, like my whole life. I'd married a guy very early on. I was like in my twenties who, you know, I really had nothing in common with. And I would describe my life back then almost as a train smash. Like I, I hit rock bottom, um, and I gave up drinking. Uh, I was suicidal for most of my twenties. Like I was really kind of a shadow of who I am now. But it was really then that I went and did, um, at the time it was an eight-day process called the Hoffman process, different to Wim Hof, the Hoffman process, which is also in the U.S., which was really cathartic. And I went in there as one person, like this kind of shadow of myself, and I came out the other side like an entirely different person. I gave up drinking, so I've been sober 18 and a half years. I made, um, you know, friends with all my family. I mended relationships. And that's when my business started to kind of take off. So I started my first business in 2001. So I was really young. I was kind of like a millennial before millennials existed. But it was really when I gave up the alcohol and I started doing a lot of therapy and working out who I was and what my place is in the world. And I started living life according to who I wanted to be. And I started working out my own values and beliefs and not living life according to other people's expectations and societal norms and all of that kind of thing. And then fast forward, as you said, it took me quite a long time still. Um, I kind of go for the first almost 11 years of my business. I was over-servicing, undercharging, being everything to everyone. And I finally got to a place of surrender. And I was like, okay, by that point, I was really comfortable. I was making a lot of money. and But I was like, I'm too comfortable with all of this. I need to get uncomfortable. I need to shake myself to the core. So I'm not necessarily religious and very spiritual, but I was praying every day. What's my purpose? Just show me what my purpose is. I know I'm here for something bigger. And I was like, I got to a place of surrender and detachment from outcome where I was like, if it's cleaning toilets in India, I'm up for it, whatever it is that I need to be doing. And that is when I came up with the idea for the magazine, which we can kind of dig into, but it was a lot of precursory work to getting to that point. Yeah. So I want to just go back a little bit uh, for people. And I think it's the question is the recognizing of yourself when you realize that 
what was what were you what, what, what where you were in life and what you were doing in life where it was not working for you it's a lot of w's i couldn't get out there <laughs> so what you were doing is that should be early in the morning here for me what you were doing and how you were working you know for yourself in life wasn't really working for your life and so you know was it like really recognizing that you had uh, an addiction with alcohol or recognizing that you were using alcohol to blur and, you know, numb some of the things that you weren't happy with. So take us through, because I, and I make, I make you do this because everybody that is listening, I want them to just always be reinforced that we must suffer. It's just yeah. part <laughs> of the equation toward the success you said are in the little, you know, quotes, quotation marks, <laughs> right? How do you find your success? How do you find your purpose? Most oftentimes it's through suffering. It's through trauma. You know what I mean? It's through digging ourselves out. So you did yeah. that. But, so tell us, bring us back to that yeah. time. Yeah. So what it looks like for me and, you know, since then I've done so much therapy across so many different modalities and countries that I, you know, really got to understand the childhood traumas and things that had led to that addictive nature and really utilizing alcohol as a crutch, which, you know, it wasn't in and of itself, the alcohol. I think a lot of people think, oh, you just put down the alcohol, everything's fine. No, mm -hmm. you put down the alcohol, then the work starts. That's that was yeah, that was masking, you know, whatever was actually going on underneath. What it looked like for me was, and I now know like what led to it and also what I was kind of hiding from and keeping myself small and self-sabotaging and stopping myself from kind of stepping into, you know, my true purpose, which I really feel like I am now in. So for me, it was really about, um, just numbing and, you know, binge drinking. So I wouldn't say at the time I was drinking um, every single day, but it was the unpredictability of it for me. So I would go out and, you know, sometimes I might have one or two drinks, not often, <laughs> but other times I'd go out and, you know, just absolutely almost, I mean, this is kind of gross, but it's good to go there. I, and it's 18 and a half years ago. You know, I think this is the other thing I'm, um, I'm not attached to the story. It is a story now. Like I'm a very different person. So I'm desensitized around what I can talk about. So it's fine. Then I would go out and drink. And I remember then I would make myself, you know, vomit. And then I would do more. Yay. Now I've got more space to drink more. <laughs> like yeah. it's kind of gross. And then, um, you know, and I remember I'd wake up and I'd like lie on the shower floor and I'd be vomiting. It like it was just a oh, most revolting way to live. But it wasn't just that. It was the fear guilt, shame, remorse, because then I'd go through in my head, you know, our heads are busy places anyway, without throwing that into it. And I'd kind of deconstruct, oh my gosh, who did I say that to? What did I do that? Oh God. Yeah. And I used to kind of think, oh, I need to buy a florist because I need to send so many flowers to say, I'm sorry. Or, oh my gosh, I didn't mean to say that. So I was kind of Lisa now, but amplified in a bad way so now I kind of you know I get excited about speaking my voice I'm very passionate I love life and you know anyone who meets me is generally like oh my god you're so much fun you're so like into everything you light up a room but what happened then was I would add alcohol and I would be so loud and I'd be opinionated and I'd want to tell the world and it all came out sideways and because I had no um, I'd done no work on myself. So I had no social cues or no real understanding of who I was. So it was just messy and chaotic and horrible. Um, and 
I hid it very well. So a lot of people looking back would be like, no, what do you mean you're an alcoholic? You are always the life of the party because I would, you know, dance on tables and be fun. But I'd be very clever and manipulative in terms of I would swap friend groups. So I'd go out with one friend group one time, but then maybe not for another month. So I I think I, as an addict, became very good at hiding and masking Mm -hmm. and appearing okay. And that was absolutely exhausting. Anyone who's had any kind of addiction or anything that we're trying to hide from the world and mask, it was exhausting because I was constantly trying to show up as squeaky clean and everything's fine. I'm all fine. And I was pretty good at that. But underneath, I was absolutely dying, like literally dying. I was in so much pain and chaos. And the majority of the time I was suicidal, it was it was a horrible, horrible way to live. Yeah. It's, it's cause it could be masking an addiction or it could be masking your true self, right? People are so oftentimes uh, so afraid to show their true selves, show their pain, show their insecurities, their fears, their suffering, their struggles, you know, or their, you know, or or their happiness and their joy and their excitedness about certain things for people to go, Oh, that's stupid. Or that's not exciting. You know? So I think, We are constantly pushed and pulled at by society, but most importantly, by our own egos. And when we can start to truly understand the ego, I always talk about the, um, the shoulders, right? We, we're always told there's a devil and the angel sits on one shoulder and the other. I actually think it's the ego is the devil and the angel is your true, your true self, your conscious, who you truly are. And so sometimes we need to hit that rock bottom whether it's in relationships or with addictions or with ourselves, you know, until we can actually see that, that there's something that we're actually in control of, that we are sabotaging ourselves. Like you said, we're making ourselves smaller. We're self-sabotaging and we all wake up to a new day. God willing. You did have a couple uh, real game-changing books that I'm really happy to announce to everybody in the USA are now being published into the United States. So we're going to get into the books as we go. But through this, I want to start with that you said you're not religious, but you're really spiritual. So through this cracking of your seed, through this flowering of Lisa Messenger, you found true spirituality. And then you combine that with business acumen and disruption and not mm-hmm. taking no for an answer, like leaving your fear at the front door. So tell me how you took that power and how you did what you did with it in building your, your business collective hub. Ugh, I love, I just, I'm going to bottle that and listen to what you said over and over again, because it's so, you just encapsulated that so beautifully, Heather. And I've also had lots of adversity since, and I now know when that happens to lean into it and go, Mm. okay, okay, something big is going to happen. Like there's an inner knowing now, and we can talk through those. There's been probably four other kind of large ones since I gave up drinking, but they've all been extraordinary, not so much at the time other than the inner knowing and being like, okay, I know I'm on the edge again. And this is my edge and this is something that's going to be amazing. And each and every time I've felt that edge, I've lent into the uncomfortability and I've known for sure that out the other side, it is again, that bursting through and it has been nothing short of extraordinary. I guess she was even talking about it. So what happened was gave up drinking and then started to do the work. 
And that looks like, and the reason I don't label it as religious, but rather spirituality is I was very open. So um, for the first year I went to AA, which was extraordinary. Talk about dropping the ego and, you know, a great leveler and just the most amazing rooms. If anyone ever just go, they're extraordinary. (laughs) Um, That was a lifesaver for me. And I met some extraordinary, amazing people from all walks of life in there and that really was very humbling um I've then done things um the Hoffman process I did as I said um I've done something called path of love where I went to Costa Rica um with a you know spiritual guru in the middle of the jungle in a place called Pachamama where everyone's nude and screaming most of the time I've spent time in um, the Osho Meditation Center in India twice. So um, I wore head-to-toe purple robes from 6 a.m. till 6 p.m., did the 17 different types of meditation you do each day, from laughing meditations to crying meditations. So I've done some really wacky stuff, right? And for anyone listening, I always just say, and this is something I learned in the rooms of AA, be, you know, what I, how I live my life now is to be purposefully counterintuitive purposefully counterintuitive. And what I mean by that is every single day I try to put myself in situations that um, test me and push me and take me out of my comfort zone. So that I always remember coming back to your new day. (laughs) I always remember that, you know, life is precious and I need to keep pushing myself and testing myself and working out what are my values? What are my beliefs? What are my comfortabilities? But, you know, the religious piece, if someone says, which they often do, come to church. I'll be like, great, let's go. Like, I, I just am open to learning in so many different ways. And I would say now I'm a perpetual seeker. So I think it is from that mindset that things started to really open up for me, right? I feel like if we do the, what's the saying, do the same thing every single day, you know, do the way it's like nothing will change. I'm whatever it is. What is it? Yeah. Well, Um, it's basically if you repeat the same behavior over and over again, expecting change. Yeah. Yeah, And gave the same, it's, it's the definition of insanity. (laughs) Exactly. Which is why this, you know, purposely counterintuitive thing happens. And I often say to people, because people often say, well, I don't have the money to travel or I can't, I don't have the time to do that. So I just say, go walk a different way to work or go to a different coffee shop or listen to a podcast in a genre you wouldn't normally do, or just do something that kind of tricks your neurological system. And you kind of go, ah, it just keeps you alert and alive and seeking and always in a sense of awe and wonder. So that is really my trick to kind of leveling up all the time. So kind of did a lot of that. And as I did it, I got more and more comfortable in my own skin and I realized why I was had been drinking and um, why I was feeling less than or issues of abandonment. My yeah. father left when I was three, you know, all kinds of stuff that many yes. of us have experienced in different parallels or, you know, different ways, but affect us. Um, and a number of different things had happened, which actually I had a really great childhood, but it's what how I felt around it or the experience. The stories we tell ourselves and that we create, you know, around the pain, the fear, the suffering. Yeah, exactly. And so when I started 
you know, going through a whole lot of rebirthing or, you know, cathartic things that I did, whether it be journaling or, you know, bashing pillows with a baseball bat or whatever it was, I realized, look, this is my partner bringing me a coffee. This is I know, I saw him <laughs> stick his little head in. You tell him he can come in. He's so cute. <laughs> He's crawling. <laughs> I love him so much. We have background uh, partner, producer, uh, assistants of... Uh, crawling around the floor with coffee <laughs> for uh, Australian business women at 6 a.m. <laughs> makes, makes our podcast all the more real, hey? And I think that's it, right? These moments are perfect because life is a bit messy and chaotic and unpredictable. And so when someone slides a coffee in by the back, you know, it's all good. So, yeah, it was it was really true doing all of that work and getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And also, as I said before, in the first 11 years of my business under serve, uh, under charging over service yes. and being everything to everyone and finally learning, okay, this is what I want. And the magazine came because, and this is again um, a pain point in a way, I was surrounded by so many extraordinary people, but I had a huge frustration because so many people were saying to me, it was all these back backyard backdoor conversations around but what's your supply chain where do you get that made or how did you afford that or you know what did you do with that and um and I felt like my love you need to take money out sorry now the dog is here <laughs> um and I feel like there were all these behind the scenes conversations that were being had and I was like this is so frustrating why aren't we talking about these things openly and honestly and then on the other side at the time a lot of the media was telling the great success stories they were like Heather's done this isn't Heather fantastic and I was always left scratching my head going but how but how but why but why how did she do that I don't understand and so I felt there was um a gap in the market and this is where the naivety comes in largely I was like I just want to bring all these amazing entrepreneurs, game changers, thought leaders, style makers, risk takers that were in my inner circle. I want to bring them all together and smush them, very technical term, into some format together. And so what I did was I was like, I want to produce a magazine. Now, that was a really naive thing to do. As you said in my introduction, this was 2013 I launched it. Um, I'd never worked in the media. I'd never worked for a magazine. In Australia, where I live, I live between LA and Australia now. Um, there were, I think, over five and a half thousand print magazines in our tiny little country alone. People said print was dead or dying. So highly saturated market. I had no experience in an industry people said was dead or dying. But when I truly believe this now, when you feel into such a strong sense of knowing and purpose, and I call it in flow. The synchronicity and the serendipity of what happens and what I have experienced as a result is beyond the imaginable. And yes. in this particular instance, I just had such a strong inner knowing that I needed to do this. And so the waters kept parting and it happened. And I brought it out in February 2013. And within 18 months, the print magazine was in 37 countries. Um, within 14 months, I had an email one day, which was very surreal. And in the subject, it just said, from the office of Anna Wintour. And I was like, what? <laughs> was That's a big subject. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I've gone from 
like little, little Aussie, no one knows about, no idea what I'm doing from the office of Anna Wintour. And it was from one of Anna's three PAs. And they said, Anna, we'd like to meet you in New York. And I was like, what is going on? So I flew to New York, met with Anna. And there's a big lesson in this because I remember at the time I put it up on Facebook. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to New York to meet with Anna Wintour. And everyone, the comments, everyone said, what are you going to wear? And I was like, what? Hang on. It's not the I mean, of course, I had a start. The point was, Anna asked to meet me. And I think this is a really big lesson in life as well. We show up so often as a lesser form of ourselves or not feeling good enough or, you know, all those things creep back in, the ego. And I needed to remember she asked to meet me. You know, we had gotten on her radar and she wanted to have a meeting. And so I, I stepped into that room as that person. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. As the holidays come upon us, we get to think about getting away. For me, it's long, exhilarating days cruising the slopes in the crisp air. But whatever your dream vacation is, don't miss your chance to get away this season and fill your sleigh with gifts from Way. Their best-selling hair and body products are great gifts for effortless routines, perfect for you and for everyone on your list. Our self-care routines are important. My color-treated hair is prone to breakage. My fast fix is Waze Multitasking Hair Oil. It smooths frizz and seals split ends for a high gloss, super smooth finish. No matter what kind of hair you have, Waze Hair Oil will rejuvenate your hair so it's healthier, more vibrant, and smells incredible. And what I love, it's great on wet or dry hair. Absorbs quickly, keeps my color from fading, and it revives damaged hair easily. Get the perfect gifts for everyone with Waze bestsellers. For those on the naughty list, it's the leave-in conditioner. Helps with frizz and breakage and protects hair from heat damage up to 450 degrees. Don't miss your chance to get away this holiday season. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com for 15% off site-wide when you enter promo code InMyHeart. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com for 15% off with code InMyHeart. Now back to my show. So let's talk a little bit about, because there are so many books. I mean, some people are, are lucky to accomplish one damn book and, you know, you, you, you did them for yourselves. And I, I kind of want to wait, wait a little bit for that, but I, I want to just talk about how you started writing them for other people, how you started to understand that corporations needed this tool that somehow mixed that the, the corporate identities and the themes of that, along with the spiritual influence that you have, the connectivity that's important. Yeah. So I want you to tell us how you were started to do it for other e- others. And then 
how it really came into your life, because, you know, most notably, you know, uh, your best-selling book, Daring and Disruptive. Like, so, you know, and then we're going to go into the array of books because I can go on and on about the title, Breakups and Breakthroughs, Money and Mindfulness. You know what I mean? You got risk and resilience, you got purpose <laughs> and you got from work to wherever. So like, we got a lot of books to talk about, but take us through the essence of them, Lise. Thank you, Heather. You are such a beautiful interview. I love it. Thank you. There's so many amazing segues and you capture everything so beautifully. Thank you. So, yeah, again, okay, so I'm going to talk pre-magazine and post-magazine because pre-magazine, the 11 years where I talk about um, over-servicing and under-charging, that time was actually custom publishing primarily for other people, which I fell into accidentally. So when I say I knew nothing about um, print magazines, I knew nothing about print magazines. Books are um, quite two-dimensional in comparison and much more, I can say now, much more simple. People who haven't written a book yet are like, what? Wait, what are you talking about? Everything's relative, right? So what happened was when I gave up drinking 2004, I decided to write my first book, which was called Happiness Is. I don't even have a copy anymore. I don't know where, like, but people every now and again pop up and go, I found one on eBay or whatever. Like, but what I did back then was I went around Australia and I asked people, what does happiness mean to you? And I ended up doing this compilation book. And that, again, Heather, the accidental on purpose thing. Like I just really did that because I just needed an outlet. I mean, I was not an author at all. And, you know, I just was like, I just need an outlet to find out what's this great secret to happiness. And it was quite a surface level book, pictures, and then little words about what happiness But it was meant. a little part of the knowing, the little, little part, part of the knowing of, oh, in there. <laughs> Absolutely, because it has turned into my life's work, really. And also that book was fascinating because I would ask people, you know, Heather, what does happiness mean to you? And people either came back with really, oh, walking on the beach, holding hands with my partner, like really just like came out with something very sort of surface or or beautiful, whichever way you want to look at it. Other people like burst into tears and were like, I don't know what it is. Like it was really triggering for them. So that was where I started. And what happened was the extent of my knowledge, I mean, this is going back a long way, 2004, was I did a one-day publishing workshop, like how to get a traditional publisher, and I did a one-day self-publishing workshop, how to do it yourself. (laughs) I love it. And in the traditional publishing workshop, I kind of learned, you know, something, I'm just making this up now, but it was something like in Australia, one in 4,000 unsolicited manuscripts actually make it to a book. You know, publishers take two years to put it on the shelf. You get about a dollar thirty, you know, a book. Like that is fairly much what happens in Australia. And I was like, what? No, I don't have the patience or whatever. So I decided to do it myself and I learned as I went. And what I also learned was, and this is great, this is how I live my entire life, is, um, you know, again, if you're getting a theme here, it was about, okay, traditional publishers sell through bookstores, they do this. I was like, no, wait, I'm going to go to corporates and I'm going to say, hey, um, you need a book to use as a premium incentive gift reward because a lot of them were using, you know, squeegee balls or mouse mats or really inanimate, meaningless objects. And I was like, hang on, you know, you can buy this book. So I ended up identifying a whole lot of corporations. So Mercedes bought 2,000 copies um, to use to incentivize test drive. So go and test drive a car, get a free book on happiness, 
there's there was a perfume I remember Clinique had a perfume called Happy Hearts yes. they also bought a few thousand copies um spent I think it was $130 on a bottle of Happy Hearts and that a free copy of Happiness is so I just thought differently right and in Australia at the time, a bestseller was 5,000 copies and I sold 36,000 copies in the first 12 months. So accidentally on purpose, I ended up having a book publishing company and that's where the 400 books came. So I was like, oh, I'm surrounded by all these amazing people, but it became just too cookie cutter for cookie me, cutter. too predictable and yes. I was too comfortable and I wanted to really explode and do something bigger. So that is exactly where that happened. Once the magazine came out, I decided I didn't want really to work with clients in that way anymore. I really wanted to kind of own my own destiny and I wanted to, you know, have this space where I could put them all into one place that I wanted. We then started running up to four events a week because I wanted to take people from, so if we had you in the magazine, it would be like, here's Heather's amazing story, but actually now here's Heather on stage so you can meet her. Like I really wanted everything to be raw, real, relatable, and attainable. So we tried to take as much off the page on the page. So then I started writing books again. So I hadn't written my own books for that whole period, 2004 till 2014. I didn't write books myself. But because the magazine, like I literally went to bed one night, launched the magazine, woke up, and just became like this overnight I don't know, this hot, hot thing everyone was talking about. I was getting invited to every single launch. Everyone was like. And a winter was calling. I mean, shit was going good, girl. (laughs) Yeah, Branson invited me to his private island, NECA, which, yeah, and I've since shared a stage with him five times. Like, my world exploded. So I almost felt, well, I was so excited to write again. And I'm not, by the way, an author. We had what was in Australia unceremoniously called veggie English at school. I'm sure they would never be allowed to call it that anymore. It was like the really dumb of the dumb of the dumb. I was in like the lowest (laughs) possible English class. So I know a lot of Australians and I've never heard veggie English. That is hysterical. (laughs) I love it. My Australian accent is terrible. All I can say is... uh, uh, I can't even say with the R, you have to put an R on everything, but I digress. Sorry. (laughs) Such a good accent. That's why I want to do it. So in 2014, you know, the year after I launched the magazine, I thought I've got to write all of this. Like, because what happened was I started the magazine to tell the story behind the story. And here I was in parallel having this success with the print magazine now in 37 countries. And I was like, I want to lift the hood on this. I want to show and tell everyone exactly what I'm doing and how I've done it. So I started writing. So so going through my books, which people just fell in love with, because so many people are like, oh my gosh, you're you're me. Because I'm nothing special. I like, I literally write every day and I write it in real time. So Daring and Disruptive was absolutely unequivocally about what happened in that first 18 months of the print magazine. So it was how I entered a highly saturated market, how I got distribution in 37 countries, how I funded it. Like literally I write so I write all the numbers, I write everything. And there aren't very many people in business who do that. So that's what I did. And then what happened was people were like, oh, but 
you must have had all this money because I didn't go into like great detail. So then I wrote money and mindfulness, which you, I feel like you and I are so on the same page about this, which is all about, no, there are more currencies than cash. And it's about identifying like-minded, non-competing businesses often and working out, okay, if cash isn't on the table and it's not the only currency, how can we swap? How can we list share? How can we collaborate? How can we do things together to lift each other higher? So that entire book, I ended up having, ironically, almost one um, in the first year, one person selling ads in the magazine and three people full-time doing non-monetary deals. So out there looking at, you know, who are these other businesses that we can collaborate with? So that whole book, Money and Mindfulness, is about how you do more with less and how you do business differently. And so, yeah, then it kept kind of rolling. Keep going because they're all available in the States now. No, they're all good and they're all different. So just come on, go through them. I need you to. This one's almost funny and ironic and I have to make sure my other partner is in the other room. So I wrote... um, Life and love, because then people were like, oh, but what are the rituals and routines? What are the things you're doing behind the scenes to have yes. a successful business? So I wrote this book on like, you know, all of the all of the rituals, all of the routines, all of the things that I do to kind of help behind the scenes, you know, to do that. <sighs> anyway, I take a deep breath because this is almost comical and a lesson again in what not to do. So at the time, um, I was with a different person to my wonderful partner who just brought me coffee of six and a half years. But at the time I was with a different guy and he decided to propose on the day I was doing the photo shoot for the book. And so because the photographer was there, I was shooting the cover and all the internals um there's an entire there was there's been several reprints since there was an entire (laughs) chapter at the end on the proposal um the book came out went to number one in Australia which was amazing I was doing all these tv interviews and then four days later after it came out he came home and said I can't do this anymore and he just left (laughs) and so I was like Oh my God, where, where did he go? <laughs> anyway, so I was in the middle of like number one bestseller on how great my life was. This bloody chapter was in there and I was left going, where did he go? So fast forward, I was like, I have to bookend this. So break up some breakthroughs came about a year later because I was like, so that talks very much around how to deal with a breakup and how to yes. how to turn a lot of the themes of what we've been talking about, how to turn something that was really tumultuous and unexpected and sort of horrible into a silver lining. And what are the, again, the and where everybody can see it because you talked about that also too, like us trying to please other people and constantly worried about what people are thinking about us. And now you've written this book about this and you know, this great proposal and now boom, the relationship to work out and we're left yeah. holding what holding our ego, right? Our ego wants us to feel bad and wants to say, Oh, everybody thinks you're a loser. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and then like, so go show them, go show them yeah. your not or whatever, you know, like it has constantly has you struggling. So yeah. I love that you, I love, first of all, the reality <laughs> that it happened. Okay. The realness, because I just want to interject one thing. And I, and I want to point it out about you, Lisa, is, is that success comes in many packages and why I have Lisa on and why I'm so excited about hers is her success is, is, is not like financially or all of her books or her company and her, her disruption. That's not at the pinnacle of what she does. It's her truth. It's her authenticity. 
It's her sharing of her wisdom. It's the sharing of the failures as much as the successes and being brave enough and vulnerable enough to do that is really what sets up change for other people. So thank you. Continue, continue through your books. Thank you. And I would say, uh, thank you. Thank you, Heather. I think the thing about all of this is right. I mean, if people listen, you know, to the similarities not the differences we all have these points but I know for sure now that everything you know then I met my current amazing beautiful partner and you know and my previous partner I didn't speak to for six and a half years we we ended up speaking um about a year ago and he was like I've missed you and all this stuff and we just did all this healing and amazing I don't need to see him or continue that relationship but we had this incredible extraordinary healing because we've both done some growth and things um okay so then uh so (laughs) everything was going along fabulously so the magazine for about five years just grew and grew and grew and we were doing you know in the 37 countries and then we were building out events all over the world and co-working spaces and everything was amazing yeah until it wasn't and so my next book, so Breakups and Breakthroughs and then Risk and Resilience are the two books that are like the grittiest books. I will never read Risk and Resilience again, but people say it's the most powerful book in what not to do in business. <laughs> right, right. Because, Too much for you to read again. You know, you put it down yeah. for other people and you've moved on. And that's yeah. that's beautifully uh, healthy. I love that. Yeah. Write 100%. it and forget it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And I rarely go back and read my own books, except when I've um, recorded like Daring and Disruptive and Money and Mindfulness for Audible. So then I re- I decided to read them rather than have an actor. And yeah. both of those books, when I was reading them, I was like, these are good. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love that. Change a thing. Um, risk and resilience. What happened was, and this happens a lot in life is that we don't know what we don't know right so I have this huge dream I'm going to have this magazine it's successful beyond my wildest dreams but I would say I'm a great founder I'm not a great CEO and I now know that right more lessons Mm -hmm. so I am brilliant at being a visionary seeing things before they exist coming up with different ways of doing things disrupting doing partnerships um coming up with ideas I'm a creative I'm not great although after nearly 22 years of having my own businesses at HR legal finance you yes. know, all of that they're learned behaviors for you <laughs> they're very much learned behaviors I can navigate my way around a PL profit and loss or you know cash flows or all of those kind of things but I really don't enjoy it right um it kind of started to unravel which was excruciating because on the outside the customer community interfacing piece it was the most amazing brand and still we were you know I I was being invited I was the only person in in Australia to be invited to have Jamie Oliver on the cover when he came to Australia um I've shot Sarah Jessica Parker George Clooney Ryan Gosling I had all of them on the cover so all this was still happening and I as the editor and founder was being invited to the hottest events on the planet. So that's all still happening. But over here, I'm hemorrhaging cash mm-hmm. and I'm in a really going into a dark space again. And I'm like almost back to, you know, where I was when I was drinking kind of, in, you know, in the office 
during the day, mm-hmm. high-fiving everyone, you know, as you do as a business yeah. owner and founder, you've got to keep the momentum, keep the energy yep. going. Don't but let them see you sweat. But I was going home at night and I was, you know, rolled in a little ball crying yes. and at their peak of the most extraordinary thing I'd ever created. And so I got to a place by April 2018, 54 issues into the magazine where I had to make a courageous decision and courageous in equal measure to starting the magazine. I made the courageous decision to stop the print magazine and that nearly killed me and it was a big lead up to it. Mm -hmm. However, it was the best thing that I could have ever done and I just owned it. I actually did a cover and all of our covers were like, you know, great superstars and, you know, lots of celebs and they were always beautiful and colourful. I did a black and white cover and I just wrote, I wrote an open letter on the cover. So it was very like in your face. And then my editor's letter basically said, you know, so many people love it, but not enough people are supporting us financially. And I have made, you know, I'm the problem. And so I owned that. And what happened was ego, The night before I let that go, I was like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? I'm going to fall from grace. No one's going to, like, care about me anymore. But I just got shivers again because I owned it and I said my truth and I said that I was the problem and I didn't know what I didn't know. The the exploding of love, like, and um, all these people just came out of everywhere just celebrating this decision. I mean, a lot of people were sad because they loved the magazine, but it also, in which was really important, gave a lot of other people permission to break things. Yeah. Because there were a lot of people out there, a lot of amazing women that I know around the world who had created something, but underneath were like, in a similar position, hemorrhaging cash or didn't feel on purpose or whatever. And so suddenly people were like, oh, I can let it go as well. And some very well-known people in my circle um, still say to this day, thank you for being brave enough to break something that everyone else thought was amazing, but I was starting to suffer. We can't be in our purpose and be the truest, best version of ourselves and serve others, be in service if at the core we are falling apart and I was falling apart. And so again, it was that inner knowing Heather that you talked about. I was like, I know now that I'm strong enough to break this. And I know now that I'm so on purpose that I'm strong enough to come out the other side, a better version. I don't yet know what that looks like. And as it turns out, I have come back much, much stronger. So, but you know, 2018 wasn't easy. I look back um, at my my numbers, and I did not even three hundred fifty thousand dollars. I mean, which to some people would be like, oh my god, that's so much money. To other people, right, would but be for like, a business, it, in comparison to where I to was, where you that, were, I mean, that was doing, really, yeah, yeah, glossy so, covers and yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, but I, so I just 2018. In hindsight, I probably should have. So I kind of kept feeling into what's my thing what's my thing and it was actually Stephen my partner who said to me and this is funny again you know on purpose um on my Instagram Lisa Messenger anyone will see I have for years and years and years as long as I can remember I will share a quote and then I'll share like a photo so and and so say I shared a quote and then a photo of you and I everyone will go nuts over the quote and so Stephen said 
why don't you do a little book of quotes? Because I always write like my little musing or my takeout from there. And then I little affirmation. So I decided to do this book, Daily Mantras. And I and it was a beautiful so I collected, you know, it's a beautiful book. I have it. Thank you. You're welcome. So so that so I put that out in October 2019. So I really had, you know, a good 18 months of just not really knowing, but just sitting in it and trusting. And then I brought that out and um and that in Australia has now, in Australia alone, has sold nearly 200,000 copies. Like it just, again, worked. And, yes. you know, and a lot since then haven't necessarily. But what happened was it just resonated. And it's, as you know, because you have it, 365 days. So what happened, I think, part of the success of that is people follow along together and it's a sense of community. So they'll mm-hmm. open up. January 16 and and everyone on social media shares it and they're all like here we are together in this together because of the success of that I decided to start doing ancillary products extension products so affirmation cards and journals and dated products and I started creating ranges and the trick here again thinking differently is that I started to look outside of the print industry and I looked more to fashion and I went what do people do they produce capsules in colorways that suit the seasonality and so again whilst the majority of people are distributing books through bookstores or whatever I was like no no no, let's look at gift stores and let's produce you know, colorway seasonality that range together beautifully. And also we're in a lot of fashion stores because we're yes. following trends and color palettes. Yeah, the book is beautiful. It's a total coffee yeah. table. I mean, it could be sold in any high-end retailer. I, I love that. I love that. Thank you. I love so the, the pivoting. Yeah, go ahead. It's like the pivoting of the, just think about that again, you guys, is like a different way of thinking about it. And it's always, it gives you a, a new open door to walk through. So continue. Yeah. So I think my whole lesson there and which I've written about in Daring and Disruptive and all of those books that we talked about is this um, notion of thinking differently and looking outside of the box or the square or whatever you want to call it and oftentimes looking outside of the industry. So in Australia, we started having a lot of success. So we're in like all the major stores, all the boutiques. There's practically not a store in Australia you can walk into and not see, you know, my Pro or our products, collective hub products. Yeah. So I kept the name. And so that's been growing, 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 which has been extraordinary. We do 40 to 60 different products a year now. And then one of my greatest dreams, and I've had several attempts at your beautiful US market, and I could talk through that. I don't know how you're going for time. I'm fine. But um, but what happened was in just quickly again, things take time. In 2000 and um, I think it was about 2008, I went to the U.S. after I'd written Happiness Is. I met with a literary agent in New York. I was like, I want to take this around the U.S. He laughed me out the door. He was like, no one knows you. This ridiculous. So that was that, right? 2014, Anna Wintour, I met with her. Chuck Townsend, who was um, the, the then CEO of Condé Nast wrote me a testimonial for the front cover of Daring and Disruptive. Um, 2015, I did a global rights deal with Simon & Schuster in New York with Daring and Disruptive. <clears throat> but um, it didn't work because I wasn't on the ground there. So I've had many, many, many attempts. Nothing really worked other than the magazine in the U.S. 
So last year I decided that's it. We're moving to the US. So um, we lived in Austin and then we lived in LA for majority of the year last year. And I ended up getting a gifting agent um, in LA who have 15 sales reps and I, and they're a gifting agent who do, you know, gift stores. They don't do yes. necessarily printed products. Right. It's all other stuff. And so um, and then we started doing trade fairs in the US, in Atlanta, Vegas, New York, and LA. And within eight months, we have been in 40 states in physical stores. So I'm like, well, so listen, sad. it wasn't through, uh, you know, kismet. It's through boots on the ground and hard work and determination and a, uh, you know, I guess something inside that says, I'm not quitting on this. I'm not going to give up because sometimes our dreams are not recognized in the timeline that we expect them to be recognized, but it doesn't mean they're not coming. And I I think that that's a really good segue because there are two more points that I want to make with you. And the first one is, is that, um, you know, mindfulness is a really big, I know it's a big thing for you. And, and because you have been, you know, like me running a big company, multi-million dollar company with lots of direct reports and all that sort of thing Two, just like me, you know, stepping down, making a pivot. Now I'm working from home more. I don't have all these big staffs like I used to have and people coming at after me, but the stress, right? Like that's the one thing that we talked about. We're talking about the story, like, oh, la, 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 la. But we're not really talking about the stress that comes into play when we're dealing with these types of things and the relief that we can have for it. And I know that you and I share mindfulness as a commonality. It helps with stress relief. It helps in reducing anxiety. You know, it's really important for our mental health and well-being is to be mindful. What is the 60 products that we put out a year now, a lot of them are based on practices that I do. So we have a daily gratitudes journal because every single day I've been either like many, many different ways, writing down what I'm grateful for or popping in a jar and then pulling it out. So we did a daily gratitudes journal. I have a vision and actions journal and like a wellness journal. So a lot of the products we produce now come off the back of my practices. So let me reverse engineer that and tell you about my practices. So um. I divide my day at the moment, generally, into two. This is an exception. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll tell you what that looks like. And again, I say to people, listen to the similarities, not the differences, and do what works for you. This is what works for me. So, and it took me a lot of years to give myself permission to do this. I divide my day essentially into two. I say pre-10 a.m. and post-10 a.m., So pre 10 a.m. is time for Lisa. It is time for me to consciously fill my cup from a movement perspective, a meditation perspective, a journaling perspective, and an education perspective. So, and a health perspective. So what I do is every single morning I train. So I do F45 at the moment, um, which, but that changes depending on what I'm feeling in life. When I was in living in Venice in LA, I was doing Barry's boot camp every morning. Love. Now every morning I do F45, 7.15. It's a ritual. It is there. It is a not negotiable except this morning. <laughs> But I've already booked in for after this, so that's okay. Perfect. I hope I'm just uh, just shifting your schedule a little. <laughs> yeah, so I do that. 
I do. Afterwards, I get a green smoothie or I make a green smoothie at home. I'm like, okay, I fill my body with something nourishing. Then if I have hot chips for lunch, I'm not hard on myself. You know what I mean? I just know start the day right. Then afterwards or sometimes before, I'll do some journaling and I'll write in my gratitudes journal. But I'll also just get stuff out of my head, whatever's in there. And I will then take some stillness in the sun outside and I'll just, you know, have some meditation. Now, meditation for me manifests in many different ways. And I think this is where, again, people give yourself permission because I've been at the Osho Meditation Center where there's 17 different types of meditation on offer every day. I think a lot of people traditionally think you need to sit there cross-legged and just, you know, chant or do a mantra over and over. I'm also trained in transcendental meditation but, which is 20 minutes twice a day. But for me, sometimes it will look like a dancing meditation. I'll just need to get loose and shake it all out. And I'll put on like my favorite song and I'll just dance it out. It's anything where I just get out of my own head and I release. So that's what I do. Um, And then often as I'm driving to F45 or driving back, I'll listen to a podcast. So I'll, you know, have some education. So this is all proactive very conscious me time. Then from 10 a.m., it is game on. That is when I am there for the world. So whether I'm doing a photo shoot or answering emails or doing a speaking gig or podcast, whatever the thing that is required of me, that's that. Now, for me, starting the day grounded and calm because I feel like having not negotiables and boundaries like what I've just described are really important because the world, you know, we all, whatever we do, we wear so many different hats and there are so many different people pulling at us. And you would understand this in business. <laughs> when I say, when I have said in the past, but I need to do this, people are like, but can I just, but can I just? Mm-hmm. And when there's 40 different people, plus your family, partner, friends pulling at you, but I just, but I just, they don't understand that there's 40 other people saying, but I just, it's not just yeah. one. So that's why for me, I consciously carve out time that is not negotiable. So yeah, that's, that's really what works for me. And then during the day, I have little times where I will purposefully step away from the computer or whatever I'm doing. I love gardening. I might just grab my secateurs. It might be three minutes, just go and trim a few bushes or something. It's just time out to reset so that I'm not constantly just busy for busy sake and getting frenetic and overwhelmed. So I have little circuit breakers that I utilize and, you know, step into during the day. Yeah. That's, I think all of those tips are so important, you guys, because you have to, you know, obviously everybody has different scenarios in their lives. You know, some people have two little kids pulling at their legs at seven in the morning and you're not going to be meditating. You know what I mean? Like you have to just, but I think the, the overarching situation is that we're all bio-individual and we all have different um, pieces of life pulling at us. It's taking the time. However, you can today, Lisa's with me. She wasn't able to take the time that she wanted. So she's pivoting. So she makes sure she gets it in because it's important for her. And there might be a day that happens in your life that the fire alarm goes off in the morning and you get, you know, jarred out of bed and life doesn't work Mm -hmm. in your perfect world that keeps you centered. But then back to the tattoo on my arm, you get a new day tomorrow, God Mm -hmm. willing that you can reset and try again, because Lisa's life may seem like, ah, oh, she's figured it out. She's gone, you know, she's hit rock bottom. She's come back up. She's had huge success. She failed from that. 
life constantly throws us challenges. You never know what's coming around the corner. And just because you've overcome one doesn't mean you're going to overcome the next. So at the same time that Lisa was balancing her life and pivoting and getting back up off the mat, she got tackled with another issue. And that was she wanted to make a baby. And that wasn't working for you, was it? So let's talk a little bit, you know, in closing, I want to talk a little bit that life's treadmill is full of the up climbs. They don't mm. stop just because you figured out how to meditate. What, they, what, we, what we're able to do through these life lessons is, is provide tools, provide uh, grace for ourselves, right? To fail, to be hurt, to be upset, to not get what we want, to have life not be fair, and hopefully tools and support that can drive us through to the next opportunity, the next day, right? Yeah. To get up off the mat again. So talk a little bit about that in closing, because as you're writing these self-help books and these beautiful journals and pivoting new ways to figure out business, you were trying to make a baby and a family was really important for you. And that wasn't easy. So just take us quickly through that and how the challenges in your past life help have helped you through this great challenge. Thank you. Yes. And so talking about my lovely 10 a.m., you know, it's about to change because we are expecting a baby boy on the 2nd of August. And so I'm still like, oh, let's just look after myself before 10 a.m. You know, I'm going to need to really work out what to do around that. And so, you know, I am already putting strategies in place so that I can, you know, rather than going down to the gym, which is 15 minutes away for me, I'll, you know, create things at home mm-hmm. so that, so I'm setting myself up for success beforehand because I've got time and space to, you know, organize that. Very smart. Let's, let's see. I'm sure there's going to be a Get little- ready. <laughs> <laughs> But um, again, same theme, we don't know often, I often say, um, you know, we can't control what comes at us always. What we control is our mindset and how we consciously choose to respond. And that's why I think the tools, you know, that we harness throughout life are really important for when challenges come our way. Um, And by the way, I tool up when life is good. I think too often people wait for the chaos to strike and then they're like, oh my gosh, I need to get therapy or I need to learn to meditate. You're in my experience, when the shit hits the fan, you're it's you're in this discombobulated state and trying to learn something or harness tools in that state is near impossible. So I have learned to not get complacent. And it's when like for example, Stephen and I have just been saying we're going to commit to three months of therapy together before the baby comes. Like we're in a great space already, but I want to, you know, really work out any nuances. So we, I spent a lot of time educating myself and gearing up with different modalities of therapy before the baby thing. So I, I love um, that. I just got to repeat it. Tool up (laughs) while life is good. Tool up while life is good. That's my favorite new quote. Because that is so important because anything that is is worth anything takes work, right? You know, we all know that relationships, relationships, you don't just get married and it's over. It takes work. Everything takes work. So yourself, your own life, working at yourself and on yourself is an everyday good and bad times occurrence. Tool up when life is good. Beautifully said. 
Especially when it's good, because you never, we never know when something's going to happen. I didn't say to you, I know we're going and going, but there's so many things. Like my dad died of a heart attack suddenly in the end of 2017, right when my own business was hemorrhaging cash. Like, so right when I was already in a horrible place, he died. He had a marine insurance company and suddenly I was like, oh my God, I have to try and run this. Like it's almost laughable in hindsight. I have to try and run this company and his staff that I know nothing about whilst I'm trying to save my own business, you know? So this is why having the tools when life keeps layering stuff unexpectedly, you've got to be ready. The baby thing. This is almost a parallel to everything else I've talked about. It's about staying open. If you go, I want to have a baby and life throws other curveballs at us, then it's about, in my experience, staying open to what that could look like. So just, I'll try and make this a quick story. 2015 with my previous partner, I got pregnant. I had a miscarriage, but it was the first time that I hadn't just thought about business because I was so in love with my business. There's so many people are, and I was like, oh my gosh, I want to have a baby. As we all know from my previous conversation, we broke up. Um, So then I went to Bali later that year and I went to an orphanage on my birthday, the Jodie O'Shea Orphanage. I fell in love with this little eight-month-old baby, Gracie, who was lying on a mattress pretty much for three days. I stayed with her and I tried to adopt her. Mm -hmm. Um, It was almost impossible due to legalities. Then I didn't have a partner still. So 2016, so this is all happening parallel to all of the business stuff we've discussed. I decided I am a gung-ho woman. I'm going to do this my on my own. So I did two rounds of IVF with donor sperm because I was like, I'm going to have a baby. Hells yeah, I'm ready to do this, you know. And so I tried that. Didn't work. I then met Stephen and we have now been together six and a half years. And so then we were like, you know, after six months or so, we were like, yes, we kind of know we're going to be together. We want to try for a baby. So we tried naturally. Didn't work. I then proceeded to do another 14 rounds of IVF. Um, so <laughs> that was quite a lot. Anybody who knows anything about IVF knows how yeah. taxing and hard that process yeah. is. Yeah. Taxing, I mean, I feel like we could do an entire podcast on this, yeah. but taxing from a an emotional perspective, and physical, physical perspective, um, and financial. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're in a very fortunate position that we have been able to do that. And I understand that's, you know, near impossible for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so by this stage, I'd done 16 rounds of IVF. And I mean, I'm happy to stay on as long as you want. It could be a part two, but like and extrapolate all of that. But I'll do the quick version. Um, I got to a point, And again, this is a mindset piece, because when Stephen and I met, he was like, no, 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 I, I only want to have a baby naturally. Right. So that's how you go into something you think yeah. it's all going to work. Um, then that's not working. So then, you know, lots of conversations around IVF, lots of other conversations as we went. In this is a beautiful story. In 2018, I have Stephen always says, Oh my gosh, how do you remember all these dates? My brain works in a weird way. And you'll notice I've talked about a lot of dates from a timeline perspective. Um, I had a coffee with Sarah, who's edited a lot of my books. Um, and Mm -hmm. she was one of my first editors 12 and a half years ago. 
in 2018, we were sort of in the infancy of our IVF journey. And Sarah said to me over a coffee, if you ever want a surrogate, I would love to carry your baby. <laughs> and I was like, what? wasn't even a thing. I was like, wow, what a generous offer. But yeah. no, like it just, and this is again, you know, different stages and being open and people plant a seed mm-hmm. that then comes back around and, uh, and continued on the IVF journey. And then March 2022, um, in Australia, well, we were back and forth from the US, but I happened to be in Australia at the time and we had horrible floods where we live in the Northern Rivers near Byron Bay. And I don't know why, I have a thing for crisis. I jump in, I just, I jump into crisis. So I started opening evacuation centres and coordinating helicopters and doing all this crazy stuff. Sarah's husband, David, is a radio DJ on the Gold Coast, an hour away from where we live. And his co-host, and I started doing a lot of media through the floods, trying to help get the word out and, you know, raise money and get what we needed. Anyway, so I did this radio interview and I get a text from Sarah. This is March 2022. And she goes, oh, you were just on the radio with my hubby. Um, By the way, how's the IVF going? This is on a text. And I go, oh, not great. Still want to be a surrogate. (laughs) And she says on text, love to, let's talk. And we've talked about this a lot since. And we're like, wow, I think I was so vulnerable because I was literally helping people in life or death situations, kind of saving people around the area from floods and things that I was vulnerable enough to really ask for help and just put it all out there and be like, yes, I need this. I can't keep going. Um, So we are at the time of recording. Um, Actually, today, there you go six months pregnant. That's amazing. Baby boy is due on the 2nd of August. And I couldn't be more excited. The lesson though, for everyone listening, most importantly, is again about staying open to opportunity, you know, and Stephen said to me, through many of my tears throughout the journey, he said, it doesn't matter if we pay a dollar or a million dollars. Like we ended up selling our house in Sydney last year to fund a lot of the IVF and the process. But we got to a point of surrender where we were like, if this is truly what we want, then it doesn't matter how much it costs us. You know, this is the end goal. And I think that's really important. Um, it's helped us massively shift priorities and really recognize what is most important in our lives. And we're kind of like a lot of the material stuff actually doesn't matter. It's fallen away because what we want is our beautiful baby boy. And so every day I'm just so excited about this now. And also Whilst I never thought I would have a surrogate, you know, Sarah and I have been great friends for 12 and a half years and we've worked together for 12 and a half years, but it is the most beautiful, close, girly friendship. It's like having a sister. And now I'm like, I can't even imagine bringing a baby into the world. I just got shivers again another way because we both get so excited together and I feel like there's someone, I mean, Stephen's obviously on the journey, but like a a best girlfriend who's on the journey with me every single day. So, you know, we'll talk 20 times a day, whether it's Instagram DMs or text messages or she'll FaceTime me and say, he's kicking. And yeah, we live an hour apart and it's just amazing. 
I just love, love, love it so much. Lisa Messenger, your stories and the tools that you give us to use when things are going just fine are just really, really so important. Um, For people who don't know where to find you or how to follow you, please let them know where you can. And, you know, if you want to drop a name of a store with a books or Amazon or wherever you can get the stuff now, because I know that I had to have mine sent directly from Australia, but now now we can get them here in the United States. And so I just in, in wrapping, please tell people where to follow you and et cetera, et cetera. So I'm just at Lisa Messenger. I, I manage everything myself there or at Collective Hub. But our baby one, Sarah and I have set up, it's called Mummy at Last. Australian spelling, M-U-M-M-Y at last, which oh, we're sharing beautiful. our surrogacy journey. And in the U.S. now, hopefully more and more stores, but please, anyone, just ask your store, please stock Lisa's books, But um, or you can buy them online in the U.S. as well. We have a U.S. Shopify. But I just want to say... A What's the thing. URL that they type in? Oh, collectivehub.com, collectivehub.com. That's perfect. Heather, I just want to say a massive thank you to you because you are just so extraordinary, and I really appreciate being on here, and I appreciate your patience. And to everyone listening, thank you. You know, I think it was really important for me to come and live in the U.S. all of last year. And certainly I'll be coming back and forth with my baby boy. (laughs) And the U.S. holds a very special place in my heart. And we've been welcomed so beautifully over there. So, yeah, I just want to say a massive thank you to everyone who's supported us. It means a lot. So thank you. Uh, well, my one Australian word is sir with an R at the end. So as I always say, it, they say, sir, Lisa Messenger, I am just so grateful to you for being on my show and for sharing all of your ups and downs and ins and outs. And we're going to continue to follow your journey and we're going to continue to watch you sign. So thank you so much to my guest, Lisa Messenger. This is In My Heart and I'm your host, Heather Thompson. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.